Prepare to be smotivated by Smodcast.com's guru of gab, Kevin Smith. Pick up his new book, Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good. Available now in hardcover, enhanced, digital, and audiobook. Learn who inspired Kev and be inspired to follow your dreams. It's like a Tony Robbins seminar on steroids and with a lot more fucking profanity. Neil Gaiman says, I suspect at that Kevin Smith is what all gods and demons aspire to be. And Tim Burton says, I certainly would never read anything written by Kevin Smith. Pick up Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good by Kevin Smith. Available every goddamn where. Yo, Sir Dude here. Just want to take 30 seconds of your time to tell you about Smodcast.com slash merchandise. Snag shirts, toys, books, and more. TheSermon.com. See what our Smodcast morning show hosts are talking about as they talk about it. SeeSmod.com for all the latest tour dates. Don't be a chode monkey. Check it out. All right, I think we're ready. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time once again. Well, first of all, gut check. Are you guys still in the house? Are you guys still ready for a good show? Make some noise. There they are. All right. Without further ado, we're going to get this thing started and bring up the men, the myths. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the ABCs of SNL with your host, Kevin Smith, and of course, John Lovitz. Is uh, Saturday night here in uh, Hollywood. It's eight thirty and change, I think. So on the East Coast right now, it'd be eleven thirty, and they'd just be starting to shoot that show that you used to be on that defined your entire fucking life. Yeah, that's right. a hell of an intro, isn't it? Welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah. The ABCs of SNL. Well, and it's weird because when I was on the show, I was telling Kevin backstage, it's like after college, when I was like twenty-one to. So I got got the show at 28. Really, like nothing really happened in my life. Hardly it was for like, seven years. Yeah, basically. I mean, I, I worked at a clothing store. I had odd jobs, and I was in the Groundlings Theater. But every year, it was like one event would happen a year. For example, one like oh, this girl likes you. That was that year. <laughs> the big. Although everything was the same year after year. That's an event, dude. Just like some girl likes you. Well. She liked me and she sucked my. <laughs> but the point is that every yeah, that wasn't a nice event. But uh, <laughs> but the point is nothing would happen on Saturday Night Live. Yes. Every day, you know, you start off the week on a Monday. You, you're meeting the biggest movie star in the country. Mm-hmm. Then Tuesday, you're they're hanging out with. Uh, I remember one year I was I was late to a, a show a Monday meeting trying to convince Robert De Niro to do the show. And and he goes, well, I like to rehearse and stuff. And then I said, oh, Bob, it's 6 o'clock. I'm supposed to be at the meeting on Monday. Can you write me a note? And he wrote me a note. Dear Lauren, please excuse John for being late to the show. He was trying to convince you know me to do the show. And I just found it in my house, which is you know a good reason to hoard shit. But, you know, every week. And then <laughs> Wednesday, you'd be, you know, reading the sketches with the biggest stars in the world. And then Thursday, you're rehearsing it, and then... Friday, 
you're, you're rehearsing more and then, and you're getting calls. You got an offer for this movie. You got an offer for this movie. I mean, it was just seven years of no and then yes, 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 everything. And everybody wants you. And it's like, it was, I mean, it was great, but it was just like um, unbelievable. And then, you know, Saturday, like I said, you, you know, the, they had the biggest bands in the world and you're watching them do their show. And you're, I mean, every week. Every, it's not. It was nonstop. I mean, it was great. It was. Let exciting. me ask you this: during that period, during the wild ride, did you? How big did you indulge? What did you indulge in? What were your? What was your like? Oh man, I'm fucking out there on the edge. Like you obviously weren't like a blushy type of speedballs. And- no, I never did any of that. I never. I never. No. I I I I did one speedball. <laughs> no. No, I never did any of that stuff. I, in fact, I remember asking Lauren Michaels. I said, "How did John? How did they do the show high? Because I can barely do it, you know, sober. And I'm not sober. I never drank in the first place. But that, you know, Los Angeles, you tell people, uh, they go, oh, can I buy you? John? I'm a big fan. Can I buy you a beer? No, thanks. I don't drink. Oh, alcoholic." <laughs> Like, no, I just don't like the taste, you know. Or the same guy, hey, John, are you married? No. Oh, gay? <laughs> no, I just don't like the taste. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I asked Lauren, how could those people do the show? He goes, oh, they never did it high. And I, in my mind, I thought, hmm, yeah, that's the ticket. Okay. <laughs> but... um but it's, he said they never did. I mean, it was exhausting. You were there 80 hours a week. You know, you don't just do that. You don't, no, you're not, it's not like a sitcom. A sitcom is a great job. It's the, it's the easiest job in the world, too. Unless you're the lead, it's the easiest because you're there maybe 25, 30 hours a week. You get there Monday, you read through the script a half hour, and you go home. Mm. You're there 25 hours. Saturday Night Live, you're, 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 you're playing new. You're trying to get on the show. You're writing the, the show, and you're acting in it. And they're making changes up to uh, 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. 10.30 to 11. And, and by then you can be, after the first week, you're, exo- you're tired. The second week, you're really tired. And the third week, everybody's wiped out. The whole cast and writers are just exhausted and even another show. Another show to do. And then you got to, I almost fell asleep on the air one yeah. time. Where? What up? I literally, I was doing the, well, what would happen is I, I would, it would be a, we'd rehearse on Saturday and at 5.30, <clears throat> we'd break for dinner and uh, I remember so many times eating dinner thinking I'm exhausted now like I want to go to bed right now and I have a show to do in six hours how am I going to do it and they didn't I didn't do any drugs and they didn't I didn't drink coffee I didn't have anything they didn't have Red Bull in they didn't have energy drinks they didn't have five hour energy which I do now didn't when? have anything when do you do but five the music hour would kick in and then it would get me going at that point, that's when yeah, you I'd hear life. that music go. It's alive, you know, Don Pardo, and you go oh, and that music would start, and I it just get my energy going. Sparkle, Neely. But sparkle. one time I was doing my liar character, and I'm like, yeah, that's the ticket. I'm on on update, and I literally I was trying not to fall asleep in the middle of update. Yeah. So you're not even a background guy at that point. You're sitting at the desk. I'm on doing update, doing the liar, trying not to fall asleep. Yeah, that's the ticket. I mean, you can see it. My energy is so low. I don't know how I didn't fall asleep. One time I had to do the liar character. I was trying not to throw up. Why? Why? Because I had the flu. Well, why would I I not trying to throw up? Because I didn't want to throw up on live television. 
<laughs> well, that would be amazing, yeah, dude. You're on it. Yes. You're on that's Saturday Night Live. And everybody watches that show waiting for somebody to throw up on camera. Because it's a live show. They're like, I remember the sketch. I think it was the second. It was with Tom Hanks and Nora Dunn. And I, I literally was trying not to throw up. Because air. Just because you were ill. Well, yeah, yeah. Not Are you checking your email during the fucking show? Or? <laughs> well, the, what happened this, there? There's a hot new porn site today. <laughs> well, that's what gets me going now. If you can all wait a minute. Hmm, I'm ready. Tell. Um, so wait a second. Back in the day, you didn't do the drugs. Um, did, I still it? don't. I, ne- I never... <laughs> People don't believe it. No, I mean, did I smoke pot ever in my life? Yeah, like 13, no, 15 times like this. No. I just, I don't know. I, you, you enjoy it. I don't care if someone else does. I just don't. I don't know. I just. That's my point. My point is you didn't do that. How did you indulge? What did you, what was your, how did you blow off steam? How did you go crazy? How did you, like, celebrate your victory? <clears throat> well, I mentioned before there was this restaurant, Columbus, in New York. And, uh. This place, there was, used to be a place called Cafe Central, and all the actors in New York would go there. Mm. Got guys that were in their 20s, now they're in their 60s. And then they went to Columbus, and it was owned by like Regis Philbin and Robert De Niro and Barishnikov. And one night I met this, this is what it was like. There was a, there was a room, like you'd walk in, and there was a brick wall, and there was, one, there was a bar and a, a side room with tables. Then you'd go through a little entrance, and there was a room with 12 tables, and everybody wanted to be in that room. And then in the front of the room was tables on the street. But no one wanted to be there. They wanted to be in that room of 12 tables. And I, every and Danny Aiello would always be there, and, and he befriended me, so I became close friends with him. So I would go there before the show. This is what I would do, actually. The Friday night, I'd go there and meet my friends Max and Danny Aiello, and I'd have a piece of chocolate cake. Because I bet see my dad do that. Anyway, as a result, I gained... Ten pounds every year. It's a great just way to, if you have to gain cake? weight. Just eat, yeah, just eat chocolate cake right before you go to sleep. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just kept getting fatter. I remember when the wine so me? fat, Lauren. Yeah, that's what happened. You're eating dessert late at night before yeah, you go to sleep. Dessert? I eat fucking breakfast, lunch, and dinner late at night. Well, that's what. Yeah, that's Trying why to get a lot done. Yeah, that's why you're getting. He- yeah, that's why you're heavy. I guess. Yeah. Anybody, not just you. It's you're not like a, you know an thanks, alien. Thanks for it's taking it off my game. shoulders and putting it on everybody else's. No, it's yeah. You eat late at night. That's how you gain weight because you go to bed with your stomach full of food, Kevin, and you're not getting any rest. <laughs> no, well, I learned it. I I, I mean, I, I'm guilty so. So I would go there and work on my lines, you know. But I remember going the there restaurant? one night. And it, at, wait, wait. Where were you going to work on your lines? At the rest, at Columbus. Everyone's trying to get into these 12 tables. You get into one and you're like, I'll just read while I'm here. Yeah, I'd have my notebook with my scenes and I'd have a friend go, here, can you test me on my lines? Because we would never, they, nobody wanted to rehearse. I did. No one wanted to rehearse. It was insane. So you'd, rehe- you'd do a sketch on a Thursday afternoon. The next time you did it was on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Well, how good do you think it's going to be? No, not very good. You know, and so you have to re- you'd have to rehearse it. Why didn't anyone want to rehearse? <coughs> I-, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to go to them and say, I don't know. They, they, a lot of them were comics, and they didn't, they didn't have a theater background, and they didn't like it. I'd have to go, come on, let's run lines, let's run lines. Would they talk about you behind your back like there's the guy who wants to rehearse all the time? <laughs> yeah, well, he if you notice the show, I always knew my lines. Right. Well, it would have a pace and it would have a rhythm. 
You know, a lot of the sketches, it's like line, 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 line. I mean, it's not, as you see, it's not funny. <laughs> there, a, a comedy sketch has a pace and a rhythm and a... It's like a movie, but it's like a three-minute movie, and it has a beginning, and then there's a conflict in the beginning, and then it builds and builds, and the characters and, the, and, and everything you know builds on top of it, and then there's a the, the, the climax of the scene, and then there's the resolution, which is the ending. And the ending of a sketch is it's that's usually the hardest thing to come up with, and sometimes it can take you two hours, or sometimes it can take you three days. Right. Where you go, what's the ending? What's the ending? If you go like, we need a great ending, and uh, if you see a lot of the sketches, they'll do it joke. And then they'll repeat it over and over. Well, that's not a sketch. That's a premise. And I think the people on the show are very talented now, but for years they haven't been doing that. They go, we don't do catchphrases. Mm-hmm. I go, well, we never did catchphrases either. But what we would do is you have a, three minutes to establish a character. Well, all of you know you imitate somebody because they have a habit that they repeat or a certain way of speaking. And then you, you, know, and then you make fun of your friend like, this is you, you know, whatever you do. <laughs> Right? And, and, and everyone does that. Well, so you learn that in the groundlings that we learn. You know, you can repeat something, a habit that somebody does. And then it's something you can cling on to. And then when you do a sketch, a sketch has to have a story. So if you notice, the sketches you remember, a lot of these sketches, people still remember this because, the, not a lot, but they remember it because it had a, the sketch had a story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the, the sketches people can The sketch to. has to have a story or you don't remember it. Otherwise, you, and you don't remember the character. You just go, oh, that was funny. I remember Jimmy Fallon was on the show. And he did that sketch with the uh, when he was in the dorm room and on the computer. And it's kind of like Wayne's World, but he's in the dorm room and he's on a computer, right? And he has all these characters. He introduces all the characters, and that's the sketch. I go, what the fuck, <laughs> Jimmy? Nothing's happening. Do-. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, why not do it like, hey, you know, you have all those characters, you set it up perfect, and then you don't do anything. Now, when do you, when do you tell him something like this after this? You've just watched it or something? <laughs> Like no, I kid. told him at the Chris Everett Charity Tennis Tournament in Boca Raton. What, just like months later? like this No, like uh, it was about... Uh, I just happened to run into him at this charity tournament. This is when I was not working anymore, and I was just, you know, having fun, and I still do that charity tournament. She hosted the show, Chris Everett, and I'm into tennis, which has to do with this season. But anyway, that's where I saw him. And then... About seven months later, I saw him. I said, well, did, did, what happened? Did you tell the writer? He goes, yeah, I told them that. And they said, we don't have time to do that. I was like, what? You don't have time? I hosted the show. I think the writers hated me. Because I, I was in 97, and I said, they go, we have an idea for a sketch. I said, what? Well, you're a teacher, and a kid brings you an apple. I go, Yeah. And then what happens? And then another kid comes in, and then, the, you know, like a kid brings a teacher an apple. I go, yeah. Then another kid brings you an apple. I go, yeah. And then another kid brings you an apple. I go, all right. And then what happens? And they go, no, that's the sketch. They, they all bring you apples. I'm like, but that, that's not a sketch. That's a premise. Not even a good one. Well, but, you know, it's like, do they bring me an apple and they're trying to kill me? With po- I'm just thinking of the top yeah, of my like, head. Yeah, like, do they have razors? Are there razors Well, something like apples? the kids get together, they go, we hate the teacher, we got to kill him, let's bring him apples. Okay, you got this. And nothing kills me. I'm like, Ras- you know, Professor Rasputin. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just coming up with that now. <laughs> something, you know, and then finally I end up killing all the kids, you know, and then 
and then I end up in jail, you know, and I don't know, and then I end up, you know, offering the warden an apple, and I escape, and I mean, you know, it's something. Is this a fucking happens. sketch or a movie, dude? You. Uh, that's my point. A sketch is a mini movie. I see. Yes. And when they're written correctly, that's why they're hard to write. They're hard to write because you have you have three or four minutes. Five minutes stops to make a whole story. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy. No, no, no. Short storytelling. So you got to like, you know, character development. All right, you have uh, four lines. Develop the whole character in four lines. Mm. Well, go on, do it. Well, you see, it's not so easy, is it, Kevin? Uh, I didn't even get started, but you're right. You're right. Good point. (laughs) No, it's hard, you know. Um, All right, we're talking about your third season on the show. This is 1987. Uh, to 1988. This is the year yeah. that I graduated uh, high school, actually. Hello, Sonny. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird. It's a, it's a, it's kind of neat for me because I would watch the show uh, religiously and whatnot. So this now. is when I was your idol. Yes, and uh, yes, in some weird way, uh, weird, weird way. Yes. But but it's ironic because all week long, uh, for the last two weeks actually, your voice has been way deep in my head. Cause I'm. Uh, Working on uh, the script for my next flick. There's a hockey movie called Hit Somebody, and uh, Lovitz, is, if he's if he's willing to do it, is going to play uh, an announcer uh, who, who's kind of the team announcer. And you're, you're in yeah, I'd love to do it. A shit ton of the movie and whatnot. So I'm writing it, and I constantly hear your voice in my head, and it takes me back to fucking that season, uh, those seasons while I was watching when you first got on, because I watched your entire run. And moments like that are just badass. Like, I was driving up here uh, this evening and just going, That's, uh, what a great fucking set of symmetry, man, to be watching a man's work, um, watch him evolve, be real appreciative, see the nuances, dig that person. Years later, get a chance to maybe w- work with them. You know, just sit here oh, even well, talking to that That's cat. Nice. It's kind of a really cool thing, man. Um, all right, you, so Kevin. let's... Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to compliment you before... Well, I was thrilled that you were coming here. They said Kevin Smith. I go, Kevin Smith, the director? Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> and now? He has more pictures oh, of himself pictures, than yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck did that happen? Um, all right, let's go there, man. It's 1987-1988. In the beginning of this season, this is your third season, uh, the cast has kind of remained the same. Who are they? You got it right there. Go ahead. Well, Dana Carvey, Nora Dunn. Okay. <coughs> Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks. Victoria Jackson, me, Dennis Miller, Kevin Nealon. So it was the eight of us for four years, except the the last uh, um, year and a half, Mike Myers came in. But that was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. This is eight of us. And then A. Whitney Brown and Al Franken as feature players. So that's one reason I think people remember us, because it was just the eight of us. Remember, the original cast only had eight, uh, eight people. And I remember after I left, I was thinking of coming back on the show, and Dana would go, man, John, there's like 20 people on the show now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the cast kept getting bigger. Yeah, bigger and bigger and bigger, because people would leave, you know. It was almost like a second or third Batman movie. (laughs) Like in the beginning, one villain. Next movie, 28, you know. Yeah. I mean, they had great people, you know, but and that, but that's when it would start. You would see people that go, who's on the show? Because they'd be there for a year, and then they'd get rid of them, and a couple years, get rid of them. They just had to bring in five people to replace your talents, or? Oh, actually, two. Adam Sandler and Chris Farley. They came in to replace you? Yes. <laughs> That's how big I was. 
You know, it's funny. Lauren used to scream at me every Monday of the first year. He used to yell at me all the time. I don't know. He was nervous or whatever. But he'd go, you didn't do this. He'd yell at me all the time. And then I remember that first year I came in and uh, they had a sketch. Mind you, Adam and Chris were completely new and unknown. And they were, uh, Sharon Stone was the host. So I ha- they would always call me up and go, can you do the show, the sketch? So I went there and it was a sketch where Sharon Stone's at a bar. At a bar and and uh, Sandler and Farley are talking and Adam's going, look at that girl. She's really hot. You know, go and go talk to her, you know. Get her. I could get her. So then Farley would go up and he'd be like, oh, oh. he couldn't talk at all, you know. <laughs> the, the, the. He's all tongue-tied. And then Adam goes, hey, watch me, I'll do it. And then he'd go up, he'd be like, because uh, uh, Sharon Stone, you know, she's stunning. And then the joke is, I come up to Sharon Stone and I go, hello. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> And then I had to one line, I go, did I mention I have a penis? <laughs> that was my one line in the show. So afterward, they gave me so many notes in that one line and I was like yelling at him, going, you fucking asshole. Like, leave me alone. It's one line. It got a huge laugh. Yeah, but the censors, so say it, but don't really say it, but hit it, but don't hit it. I mean, they would drive you nuts like that. And this is nuts. You're one not line. Even a cast member at this point. This is when you come back for a little. This is after I left. Yeah, but I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I, I I really didn't. I mean, because I was so ingrained in the show, and it become really. I could just do it, and it was like a great job, and and and. Uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. But then I'd be in New York. They'd go, hey, can you do the show? They kept asking me to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the end of that season, they had a sketch where Dennis Miller was leaving. And, and I get a call from Brad Gray, my manager. Who's now, Brad's now the head of Paramount Pictures. But Brad goes, oh, oh John, they're going to do a, a joke. Lauren, uh, something on the show tonight. Lauren said, don't worry. It's just a joke. They love you. I'm like, what? <laughs> don't worry. It's a joke. They love me. So I watch it. And then Dennis says, so Lauren goes, so you're really leaving the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. And then Lauren goes, oh, you're not going to keep coming back like Lovitz, are you? It's pathetic. <laughs> and I'm at home watching, he's going, oh, fuckers. You know, I'm like, they keep asking me to come on the mm-hmm. show, and then they, uh, they, oh, I they keep threw you under the bus for Yeah, time. but they kept calling me. Yeah. You know who kept calling me? Senator Al Franken. Hmm. A senator. He was the guy who kept calling you, be like, can you do it, can you do it? We yeah. need you. We need you, John. He was the go-to guy. Yeah, and I wanted to. And actually, I think, yeah, that was the year they did the uh, five-timer sketch. Remember that? What The year when you left the, the Yeah, the year I left, it, yeah, was, yeah, it, yeah. it, was, uh, it was like uh, Steve Martin was hosting, and they yes. had Paul Simon, all these five-timers. And then I'm in there, and I'm like, you know, drinks anybody. And then a bell You're goes off, and I'm like, oh, my muffins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that sketch, man. Why, let me ask you this. I mean, we'll eventually get there. Another we're, question? We're jumping ahead. Did you ever think about just not leaving? Like, why do people leave that trip? I didn't want to leave. I really didn't. But what happened was I had a chance to do a movie. And, I, and then they could, I was going to do two movies that summer, uh, League of Their Own and Mom and Dad Save the World, and then come back to the show. And I thought, perfect. Two movies, I'm back, and I'm on TV when they come out. And then I'll push me over the top. And then they, Mom and Dad, League of Their Own didn't happen until a year later. And Mom and Dad Save the World, they go, well, you'd have to miss the first two shows. And Lauren, Lauren just said, no, you can't. And I go, but they won't work around it. And my contract's up, you know. And I was supposed to do a, a liar movie my first year, and that mm-hmm. never happened. So now I had another chance. And I, this movie, script was the funniest thing I'd ever read. And I really wanted to do it. And I go, but, and I thought, you know, the first show, I'll never have anything to do, like hardly ever. He, I, he would just never barely put me in the first show. Well, I, I don't know, but that's what happened. I don't think it was personal, but it just worked out that way. So, so he kind of gave you the ultimatum, and, and you're like, so he goes, well, it. 
And so then I said, well, then I'm leaving. And then he goes, no, you're important to the show. But then I, I decided to leave. You know, I go, I'm passing up another chance. Do you ever regret it? <clears throat> yes. I regret it all the time. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Do you dream about being... Well, because the school? movie didn't come out to two years later and it came out for a week. <laughs> and then it was a huge bomb, you know, and, and, and then they re-edited it for kids. It was funny. It was like silly and smart and they re-edited it so it was silly and stupid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit. And then, it, it, you know, it came out for a week two years later. So I was like, well, that wasn't the smartest move. Do you? Uh, but then you... I could have come back. Lawrence said I could have come back. When? When was this? Uh, the, I think the year after I left, he goes, you could have missed shows. I'm like, what? I go, I, I would have stayed. Oh, he told you you could have come back, Thank not you. I want you to come back. Yeah. I like no, I think him. I could have. Yeah, right there. And massage. <laughs> but I, the cast was so big, and it was so... I don't know. This this show is just really it was it's a tough show to do. Do you it's fine, dream, but it's do you still dream about it? Like, do you still dream like, oh, I've got to do this many sketches in this short amount? No, of No, but I think of ideas still for sketches. You know? Do you really? Oh yeah. Well, that and that's why I like stand up because I finally got a place to write and perform my own material again. Right. Which I love doing, but yeah. The, oh yeah, I think. Yeah. Do you ever wish that they would do like an old timer show? Like I know Dana Carvey came back to host, but. Why not just put like a Saturday Night Live two into effect where you're just working with like the I thought the about that like hits, you know like all stars but it would I, right but it would be like the people would I don't think it would work just why? because of the because of the egos of the people it would just come now why are they in the show more than me and you have three lines but they're so and so and then you, you just be dissatisfied it just I don't think it would work so it's just kind of a repeat of what you went through the first time yeah but you don't think everyone would be like older wiser going like ah you know we were kids then and <laughs> no it would be worse because people what happens is if you notice people they make a choice and they they get 50 or older and they make they make a choice you can make it they become like, hey, I'm in my 50s. I don't have to take shit from anybody. And then they start becoming very defined in who they are and, the, and, and less open and not learning. And they become more uh, 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 neurotic and more the way that their problems were. Mm. And that's what most people do. I found that with myself. And I said, wait a minute. I don't want to do this. So I went the other way. So I want to become less. So you didn't get smarter. You just got more stoic and dumb or something. Is that? <laughs> no, no, I got smarter. How you got smarter? Others well, don't. I, I'll I'm tell lost. you, Kevin. It would be it would be like you saying, "I want to get control of my weight," or yes. you going fifty. You go, you know what? Fuck it. And now and then you blow up to like seven hundred pounds. I could see exactly how that is like you going back on a different Saturday Night Live offshoot program. Where the fuck are you going with this, man? You don't get what I'm saying? Not at all. The metaphor is lost. Suddenly, I'm fucking seven hundred pounds and shit. You're like Southwest Airlines. You just made me fat like that, even fatter and shit. No, but you, you have a choice to 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 get in better shape or not. Yes. What's your choice then? I have the same choice. This isn't about our fucking health, dude. We're talking about <laughs> if you were given the opportunity. No, but I'm saying that's why I would like to do it, but I don't think it would work. Because of the ego. Because thing. the people that were on the years before you, they would they would want to be on the show more, and then the people that were on the years before that would want to be on more, and then the, it just it would be too, it would be too uh, ego driven. And I can't think of a person who would be the head of the show that everybody would listen to. What, like a on the show or a head writer or like a Lauren? Yeah, figure? somebody that yeah that they go you do this this this. Al Franken, know. Senator Al Franken. 
Well, but Al, yeah, Al doesn't want to, now he wants to be, he's a senator, for Christ's sake. It's so weird. It's just a different kind of comedy. <laughs> Let's get back Good to point. the show. Um, it's 1980. Well, I'm giving you the inner, inner, you know, real shit that. Stop checking your fucking email, man. I'm not. I'm. I'm this You're is the show. At the Look. All right. All right. Let's go back to it. Email. The first episode is October 17th, 1987, uh, uh, and this is uh, season 13, your third season. Um, Steve Martin is the host. Sting is a musical guest, but for some weird reason, the uh, and this is the year Al Franken rejoined you guys. Um, but the, the, there was a fire. Is that what happened? There was a fire in Studio 8H. Yeah, I have no memory of it. <laughs> Maybe you started it, man. Well, and you're just see, blocking 87, it. 87. So that was 24 years ago. I don't remember that fire. <laughs> It's, I know, I'm sorry. Kevin. Fair enough, that's fine. I mean, I could rack my brain, it's just gone. Do you remember anything about the show? No. Moving on. <laughs> Next episode. Oh, Sting was there. Sting, Sting was a... Did he, he start he the was, fire? He was fun. He was fun, and then I remember uh, Dana Carvey kept, he would imitate him very funnily. He goes, Stingo. <laughs> And then I ran into him once. I said, hey, Dana called you Stingo. And he got me in a headlock. A lot of these guys, would I tease them and they'd get me a headlock. Charlton Heston, he got me in a headlock. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Who else put you in a headlock? Who was the other one? Charlton Heston and... Sting. Sting put you in a headlock? Yeah. Did you call the police? <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Uh, second episode of that season, man. The host is Sean Penn. And I remember he did church chat with Dana, and church chat was huge. And then. Uh, That's where Dana Carvey was uh, the church lady. The church lady. And I finally, yeah, Dana goes, all right, I'll I finally got to be on. I only got to be on it once. Really? But I remember my line. Dana would always bring it up. Yeah, it was a great line. And we're, Dana's making fun of Madonna. And he goes like, and I'm like, I'm playing an Arab guy. I go, I'll give you two million drachmas for the dancing lady. <laughs> and I got a huge laugh. But Sean at the time was known for, you know, hitting the paparazzi. Right. But I was with him once. Uh, you know, people don't know this. I was with him once on the way. I don't know where. I think he was doing sound like, let's go to Columbus. So I'm in his limo. So we get to the restaurant and the paparazzi are there. And they're saying, you know, uh, Shit to him, like, you know, jail, jail, and fuck you. You know, they're just saying horrible shit to him, really trying to bait him. And that's the paparazzi what, are saying, yeah, that, jail, well, that's what they jail? do. You're just walking along. Why and, jail, jail? Because I think he'd been in jail, you know. <laughs> Remember with Robert? And that would irritate him. Like, we know where you were. Well, they were trying to get a rise out of him. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, like bathroom. It wasn't bathroom. like he would just go, he would be walking along and see someone with a camera and go, what? Boom. You right. know. They would do stuff. They'd egg him on. They'd agitate. Yeah. Or one, I remember he told, one time it was something like there was a Madonna was getting threats and you know and, and and they're hearing all this stuff and they're in the park and some guy with a trench coat's following them and you know didn't have a bodyguard you know and so I think he picked up a rock you know. And, 
through that story just tails off. Just as it's getting good, man, you're like, oh, like but anyway, someone he, picked he, up a rock. Well, and he's then, nothing yeah. like, it's, you know, you hear stuff about these people, then you actually meet them, and they're completely different than what you hear about. You know, he's a very nice guy. He's very funny. I mean, he's really funny. He's a great mimic. But anyway, that, that sketch was, that's a great sketch because Dana keeps teasing him about Madonna, and Sean's just sitting there getting angrier and angrier, and all of a sudden he goes, Boom! Yeah, and backhands Dana. I mean, it was if you get a chance to see it on Hulu, it was like the best. It looks like he really hit him. He did. He did one sketch. Oh, that I remember that sketch. It was about a stockbroker. What was that guy in the Lewis? Uh, mm. So I was playing this guy, Lewis Rockheiser. No, Rockheiser. Anyway, so they have cue cards, right? So I learned my lines, but when you're talking to the lens, you know, you can hold the cards right underneath it. Now they do it on top, but it looks like you're talking. To you're not reading, it just looks like you're talking to the camera. So I wouldn't waste. I would know the lines, but I wouldn't memorize them because it was a waste of time. You didn't need to. So because you had so much to do. So anyway, they're holding these cue cards, and I'm talking about the stock market is bullish, and the market is bullish, and the the bears, you know, the, coming along in the recession. Anyway, the guy holds the cards, and all of a sudden he holds them at an angle, and it's, the lights hit it, and it's completely glaring. I can't see one word. That, you know, I never, people would you improvise on Saturday Night Live? I go, no, but when stuff like that happens, what are you going to do? And I just was saying nonsense. And the stock market is up two point. The bears are eating the fish. It's, it's bullish and America. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. And I remember Sean was just getting, he was acting like a drunk stockbroker and he, I mean, his acting was brilliant. But I remember I kept, at that time, I kept saying, well, am I a professional actor yet? Did you see my work? What do you think? He goes, yes. He goes, John, I don't know how you guys do what you do. He goes, I had to do a movie, and uh, I had to, they had reshoots like a year later. He goes, it took me two months to get back in the character. He goes, you guys are doing it like immediately. He goes, I don't know how you do that. You know, and then he said, you know what? He goes, you overestimate everyone, and you underestimate yourself. And I thought, oh, Good point. What did you do with that information? Improve yourself in any way or no? No, I just realized that I, I was... <laughs> no, I just realized Sean Penn was right. He was right. Because I would put everybody up here and I'd be like this. i go, well, am I professional? Yeah, he goes, yeah. He goes, you're putting yourself down too low and us too high. It's the same. It's true with anybody. People go, well, how do you do comedy? They, this is what really bugs me. They go, well, you have a talent for it. Oh, yeah, that and, you know, 13 years of work and, and thinking about how can I be funny since I'm five. Yeah, but I guess talent really plays into it. You know, it, it, you have to work your ass off, you know what I mean? Big There's time. a few people that have a flair for it, you know, like Wayne, Wayne uh, Gretzky in hockey. I mean, the, Why'd you put him in my stomach? Did I eat him or something? <laughs> <laughs> because you like hockey. I do, very much. I, I imagine you, you, you know, he, he's the greatest hockey player ever. I mean, Wayne, I was in his restaurant in Toronto. You like when I go on tangents, so what are you looking at? I do, no. I just I like when you got is, introspective. Like, Wayne Gretzky like, is in a restaurant in Toronto. Yes. They have a, 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 in the back room, there's like a display case of stuff when he was like 13 years old playing hockey. Yeah. And they have a scorecard for one season when Wayne was 13. It says, and it says to the kid like, uh, you know, Joe, zero goals, zero, two, 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 four goals, eight goals. And then the next ten goals, Wayne Gretzky, 381. Yeah. Like that, insane. Yeah. And I know him. I said to him, I go, I saw that. I go, so could you pretty much just score whenever you felt like it? He goes, yeah. 
<laughs> just whenever it was obvious, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Ten home runs in little league, and then, then the number one guy, who did he have? Four hundred home runs. Who's this? You know, it, but that's rare. You know, that's one person. I mean, you have to. You know, anybody can do anything. You just have to work your butt off. Right. You weren't just comparing yourself to Wayne Gretzky, were you? <laughs> no. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not Wayne Gretzky. Right. Because he's the great one. Yes. No. I'm saying once there's someone you, like that. You, on the other hand, are the one. <laughs> And not even the one. The, the one. I'm one of... Well, you know what I'm saying. No, I, said that's my point. Is, no, I'm not up. him. I go, that, that guy... I mean, but he still worked his I ass off. But he had, a, like, a phenomenal super talent. You know, anyway... What you were f- saying something uh, before we came my out. My point is, anyone can do anything if you're willing to put in the work. That's my point. Are you done? No. <laughs> this whole thing with Obama saying the rich don't pay their taxes is fucking bullshit. <laughs> And I voted for the guy, and I'm a Democrat. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> the rich don't pay their taxes. Let me tell you something, right? First they say to you, you're dead broke. The United States of America, you can do anything you want. Go for it. So then you go for it, and then you make it, and everyone's like, fuck you. <laughs> what the fuck is that? You just said go for it. He himself is the perfect example. He's amazing. He had nothing. He had no father. He was... You know, a mixed race, which is a a burden in, no, in the United. Don't kid yourself. You know, growing up like that, and no money, and the guy ends up being at Harvard. He's in the president of the United States. And you're like, fuck and you. And he's like, and now he's like, fuck me. <laughs> and everyone who made it like me, it's like, you know, you have to work your ass off. You know, yeah. if, if I make be- a dollar, and out of every dollar, I'm taxed at fifty half and fifty cents, I have to give. Isn't that like enough? Yes. So for every dollar you make, two dollars you have to give a dollar back. That, no, that's not right. That's no, you're not paying enough. It's half. Yeah, I, I feel you. I pay half. half yeah. And then they go, well, the rich people have all these deductions. Well, everyone in this room has the same deductions. You just didn't know, learn about it. But so you, you have the exact same deduction. You can deduct, you could, did you drive a car? Do you take it to work? Deduct it. Hey, hey, Do you eat hey, at lunch? Deduct it. Stop yelling at the 99%. It's my club. Yeah, but don't burn it down, man. Occupy love it. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, and then, so I take my hard-earned money and I open a club. Now all of you are here. Fuck me. Hello? It's ridiculous. The next episode... Pay 75% of the taxes. I, I, Can we get back to Saturday Night Live? Yeah. We, uh, were, were you this outraged on SNL? Oh, you were making some loot then. You were just happy, right? Yes, of course I was just outraged on SNL because that's the whole point of Saturday Night Live. I said to Lauren, he agreed. I go, to be successful on that show, you have to have something you want to say about the world that you live in. Something. And at the time... I liked old movies. That's all I had to say, and I wanted to make fun of them. Or I would meet people that lied, and I can't stand lying. So I made up a, you know, liars. I go, what an idiot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My liar character, I mean, he's just, he's just, he's a likable jerk. That's actually what all my characters, I realize, they're all likable jerks. You know, the, 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 the arrogant, there's nothing funnier than an arrogant idiot to me. Someone who thinks they know everything, and they're just a moron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially those people that go on about the government, man. Oh, man. 
Yes, well, you're masquerading as a 99 percenter. I do. Dude, I have the money, but here's some pot. <laughs> so there's an advantage. I'm in the 1 percent, but I'm this... sharing my pot with the 99 percenter. In this little sketch, am I giving weed it's away? It's not even true, huh? In, in this little sketch, or is this a premise? Am I giving that weed away, or the way you were like, take my pot? Knowing you, you're like, take it, this little donation, $5. You're making money on it. <laughs> That your favorite word, Kevin. Let's. Your favorite word is. I'm, wait, what is it? It's monetize. Monetize. Correct. I do, it's not my favorite word, but I use it a lot. <laughs> well, what word do you use more than monetize? Uh, cocksucker, especially when you're around. Yeah, monetize this, you cocksucker. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, you yes. know. You're constantly thinking of ways to be creative and make money. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Do you know why? Because the government takes half. That's right. And you had no money growing up, didn't you? None. None. But now I've Nothing. got fucking half of a lot, so I'm happy. <coughs> Correct. And you earned it. Well, apparently that's not enough. For who? For you. You're angry about it. For the government. <laughs> For the Democrat. When they... they uh, They're going to come in and shut this place down, everything. man. They're going to be like, we heard the, the fourth fucking episode. You won't leave Obama alone. This is an election mirror, man. Gonna I a... voted for the guy. <laughs> I'm just going to say, they're going to make come in and make an example of you, man. The government can do that. You can take your shit away. Even your good memories. <laughs> of which you don't really seem to have many, man. Whoa, what the fuck happened? Oh, the government's here, man. They turned the lights off. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Anyway, that was Wall Street Week. On that show, <laughs> on that show, LL Cool J performed. Yeah, you know what I remember about him? He kept licking his lips. <laughs> now you say, well, how many times did he lick his lips? Enough that I remember it 24 years later. That's how much he licked his lips. He just kept licking them. Was he looking at you while he was doing it? No, you are Hey, man, you know, it's cool and everything. <laughs> anyway, London. A lot of the brothers like to lick their lips to be sexy. Do you notice that? No. No? No. Well, that's because you're not an actor. See, as an actor, I'm observant. <laughs> that's my job, and that's what I notice. Hey, what's going on, baby? How you doing? He kept yeah, licking his cool lips dog. like that? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not even both. That's just licking one lip. Watch him. He's licking his lips all the time. He's just that type Kobe of guy. does it. A lot of the brothers, don't you? Lick those lips. It's a good yeah. move. Yeah? It, it, does, it creeps me out when you do it. It doesn't. Yeah, right, because it's kind of sexual. Try it on your wife, see what happens. The next ABCs of SNL, I'll go, How are you, Kevin? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you cleaned your teeth at the same time when you did it. Lickety lick. All right, the next show is Dabney Coleman. What do you remember? The, 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 well, Dabney is a great actor. And the thing I remember most about him, though, is <coughs> he was brilliant at using cue cards. We did a sketch. It was a, 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 a Boy Scout troop, and he's telling us a scary story. Uh, you know, they tell story, stories around a campfire. And then I, the sketch was, you know, talking. I think I started off talking about, um, I don't know, Bigfoot or something. And he goes, I'll tell you a scary story. And he talks about how his wife and took all his money and he was married. But he plays the cue cards. We're in a circle. So he goes like, all right, put one here, down low, put one above there, put one over here. 
up here. So it looked, so he's telling the story. So he'd look up, he'd look down, he'd look like this. <laughs> and he was just looking at cards. I mean, it was brilliant. Nice. It, it, it's something. When you work with guys like that, they're so professional. They've been doing it for so long. They're just uh, terrific. That's what I remember. Uh, the next episode was Robert Mitchum. Yeah, Robert Mitchum. That was, you know, it was like Charlton Heston. You know, it was so exciting. Here's this legendary actor. And I think he was like 75. And I remember a lot. One thing was, um, you know, when they have the show, they go, it's called the, uh, oh, I forget what they call them, oh, crap. I don't know, the tease or whatever. But they have a thing where they say, you know, coming up this week, hosting Saturday Night Live is... Uh, yeah, yeah, little bumpers that they do. Yeah, the bumpers. And they have the, they're going to advertise who's going to do on the, sh- on the show. So Whitney Brown, they would write those. So I was with Whitney. I go, I have Robert Mitchum do this one. And he did it. It was so funny. He goes, I'm Robert Mitchum. A lot of people think I'm a tough guy. A lot of people are dead. (laughs) (laughs) They wonder if I'm really a tough guy. And he did that. And and, uh, Kevin Nealon wrote a sketch. And I think it was a a spoof of uh, a character he did, Feral and My Lovely. And it was really complicated. And here's this guy, 75. He's never done the show. He did it perfect. Perfect. And I said it to Lauren, I go, that's like, how is he doing that? It's like, it was so complicated because there was narration, then he'd do it live, then there was narration and live as he's doing voiceovers. And, and the sketch was a joke about, you know those movies, when uh, the old movies, and they have a, a guy going, it was a, a cold winter night, and I, mm-hmm. she came to the office, you're looking beautiful. And so it was like that, like you hear the narration, but it's the actual guy narrating it. Robert Mitchum would say it live in the sketch and Kevin was in there interviewing what'd you say he goes I didn't say anything he kept questioning what I was saying I couldn't <laughs> questioning what I was saying I couldn't figure it out you know but Kevin wrote it it was a great sketch and, and uh, Lawrence said yeah he's got a photographic memory I, I mean he was just he was amazing and I remember they came up to him and said um, they said uh, he was a little hard of hearing so they go you know you're going to have to make a lot of quick the show's live you're going to have to make a lot of quick changes and he's like, what? They go, you're, you're, the show's live, so you're going to have to make a lot of quick changes to get there in time for the next sketch. And he goes, if I get there, I get there. If I don't, I don't. <laughs> and they, they would always try to, I just see him, they would rile up the host and make them like so nervous, you know, trying to tell them what's going on. But it had the opposite effect where they'd just be like shaking. And he like, he, was, he couldn't care less. And uh, he even did a, a thing about it. He goes like, I'm hosting Saturday Night Live, so... If it doesn't go well, what? I won't do my 108th film, <laughs> you know. And and uh, and he was great. And we did it all. This one sketch we did. It was a. It was a thing. Was like, it was hairdressers, but they wrote it so that it was Robert Mitchum and Phil, <laughs> and Phil Hartman. And they had on. They looked totally, you know, fruity, fruity with the like the curly hair. And they're saying everything like a, uh, let's just say an effeminate heterosexual, but they're saying it really macho. And, like, uh, Phil would go, did you leave the top off the gel? God damn it. And he's like, don't you talk to me like that. I'll, you know, kick you in the fanny ear. But they're saying it really tough. And then I came in, and I'm like the mafia shaking him down. But I'm playing it totally gay. I came up with this laugh. It was like, it's like this. I was like... So, so I'm like, Robert Mitchum, I have this comb, I'm all dressed in purple. I'm like, you're going down and you're going to pay the money. 
And I go, get them, boys. And then, and then they're beating them up, and I'm filing my nails going... <laughs> and I acted like I came, you know, I'm like... <laughs> well, sure enough, my dad calls me on Sunday. John, that's the best character you've ever done. <laughs> No, I can't get in trouble for this because you have to remember something. This is 1987. <laughs> yeah, really. Can we please go to the next... Oh, Simply Red. He hosted it. What an arrogant... No, that was just... What? He's arrogant. Who? Simply Red. <laughs> Where is he now? Nowhere. <laughs> I think it's arrogant. awesome that you refer to him as Simply Red. That's the name of the name. band, Simply Red. Yeah, yeah. What was the re- lead guy singer? Red... Remember him with the red curly Mick hair? Huck, was it Mick Hucknall? Huck, no, Mick Huck. No, from uh, no, from NXS. No, Mick that Hutchins? was that was. Oh, Mick, Michael Hutchins. Yeah, Michael he was Hutchins. a nice guy. That was sad. I knew him. But you didn't like the lead singer of uh, Simply Red? No, he thought he was hot shit. <laughs> Very arrogant. In what I don't way? like arrogant people. In what way? Oh, he thought he was the shit and the best singer ever, and da da da. You know, I, I was a fan of his. Then you meet these people, and they're so arrogant. He's arrogant. And so that's why he's nowhere today. <laughs> it's true. Make him Name friends. an arrogant man that his career lasted. John Lovis. Son of a bitch. Candace Bergen. More came. pie for the fat man. <laughs> Candace Bergen came in the next week with Cher performing. The, the song. Now Candace Bergen has more reasons to be arrogant than anyone. She's. You know, her father is Edgar Bergen, a very famous comedian. She could have been like, oh, my dad's Edgar Bergen. No. She's the nicest lady ever. You know, beautiful, nice, not zero arrogance. You know, huge career, talented photographer, model, actor, the nicest woman in the world. Mm. Just every, I adored her. She was the best. And Cher, I remember Cher hosted, and I walked by her dressing room to see her, and she goes, hi, John. I'm like, hi. And I'm like, fuck, Cher knows me. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Do you ever get into more conversations with with the people guests on the show other than just walking past their dressing rooms, creepily leering? (laughs) Do you ever like have? Do you have like when you talked about Robert Mitchum, you were way into Robert Mitchum as a guest. You could tell. Oh, I'll tell you another story about yeah, Robert Mitchum. You will appreciate this story. Okay. I think as a filmmaker. So I said, Robert Mitchum, I said, I said, so when you made movies in the 40s, and now it's like the 80s, I go, and you make a movie today, does it feel the same, like the atmosphere on the set, is it like the same kind of a feeling? He goes, yeah, it's pretty, pretty much the same. And I asked him about directors. I go, well, the directors really direct you? And he goes, no, you pretty much uh, directed yourself. And he goes, I did, I did a movie. Uh, he did a movie later in his career with John Huston. He goes, John's a friend of mine. And the and I think some he goes someone died so John said would I replace him so I said okay and he goes in the whole movie uh, John said uh, he only said one thing on one scene he goes oh, more I go more he goes little more little more he goes that's it he goes I did a scene with Ruben a uh, for uh, uh, a movie with Ruben Mamoulian you know him Mm-mm. you don't no <laughs> one of the greatest directors ever in the forties Lord Jesus. <laughs> World War II, anything? I heard. Nothing. I heard it you didn't heard go well it. for some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, some of us. So, the, uh, uh, go anyway, ahead. so he said, Ruben Mamoulian was a great director. He goes, he directed me in a movie. He goes, what do you, he'd say, action. And he goes, he, and Ruben Mamoulian had a, he was blind in one eye, he had an eye patch. He'd say, action. And then he'd turn his back on the set. 
turn his back. He'd listen to it, but he wouldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And he'd light, he goes, he'd light up a cigar. And then they do the scene, and then they go, are they finished? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cut. Because he won four Oscars. <laughs> Is that, yeah. That tells the story. Um, all right, man. Next guest was Dan no, DeVito. tells you about directors. What? Not all. Not all directors. Uh, what, no, no, that's not how I direct at all. Well, I hope not. No. No, I like it. I like collaborating with the director. Oh, do you really? Yes, of I don't course. do that either. You must say something. No. Do, where do you say? Go? I do. <laughs> I do. I don't say action. You know who says action? That's a misnomer anyway. The fucking director never says action. AD, he says action. Well, but it's up to you. AD is the assistant director. Um, the person that actually runs the set. Like the person that the first day watch, the first when you watch movie. a movie, uh, when you watch like uh, the two main actors in the frame talking to one another or whatever, those cats are directed by the director. Everyone else in the frame, uh, the background, is directed by the AD. It's a pretty fascinating fucking department, man, and they never get enough fucking credit. But, but don't ones, you tell him what you want the extras to be doing? Never. You don't? No. I mean, if it's written in the script, they go from that. But generally, you let the ADs go because it's such a thankless fucking job anyway, man, that you don't want to take away the one piece of creativity where you're like, hey, man, I want the extras in the background to do and say this. You let them go. And it's always sweet because when you go, when I go to cut the footage at night, you're watching these mini movies happening in the background that you weren't cognizant were going on that the AD is putting together and shit. So I'd always go in the next day and be like, I saw the extras, like the two people in the background having this whole little conversation, man. It was amazing. Thank you. So, yeah. It's well, a, it wasn't like sound, speed, rolling, yeah. action. And then, and then the AD goes, the, uh, says action. I've never, I don't think I've ever been on a movie set where the director says action anymore. We're too lazy. That's because you're the director. Yeah. You've never been on a set with another director. I they have. all say action. I have. You have? Yeah. Name one. Uh, Len Wiseman. He directed uh, Live Free or Die Hard. He didn't say action either. Well, he could have. You got me there. Absolutely, yeah. No, I heard Clint Eastwood just goes, they go, sound, sound, and they go, speed means the sound's rolling. You have to do the sound first. No, you go, sound, speed, market. Kevin's hockey movie, take one, click, and action. And they go, when you're ready. He's just like, when you're ready. All right, well, whenever you're ready. Clint Eastwood, he says, whenever you're ready. When you're ready, yeah. And then I also hear he doesn't say cut. He just goes, okay. Yeah, Woody Allen does that. Okay. Really? He just says, yeah. okay. Okay. That's so weird, like gently take you out scene, of it. You're in a yeah. And actually, the brain. I go, no, they call you the brain. That was sarcastic. No, it was. He goes, I did a scene with him. I go, the brain. It was sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> and da, da, da. He goes, well, I don't think so, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it? Like all of a sudden he just yeah, looks over? Yeah, he's doing the scene with you. Like, anyway, Kevin, I think it's terrific. And you'll have a hockey movie. It'll be wonderful. Okay? Okay. All right, we got... You might, you want to do it again? That's a little unnerving. Time? No? No, it's pleasant. I mean, you action, like action. They go, action. Fuck. Well, well, usually action. they go, action. You go, wait. Action I'm and not cut, ready. man. You've got like oh, a definitive beginning and an end. Like, cut is kind of... Like, without cut... It's almost like not coming, man. Sounds like Woody Allen directs movies where he doesn't come. He's just like, okay. Like when you cut, you're like, cut! You know, that's... So every time you yell cut, you have an orgasm? And yet you want to quit making movies? <laughs> cut. Oh, Kevin, not again. 
What's it like working with Kevin Smith? Well, it, it's good it's and it's gooey. bad. It's very gooey. I mean, he's very good, but then when he yells cut, you're in the shower. <laughs> Danny DeVito was next. Danny DeVito, that was he's so funny. Great guy. But the one sketch I remember I did with him was a, actually Conan O'Brien wrote it. It was a western. And, you know, Danny comes in in a saloon as a gunslinger, and he's like, he has his gun, he points it at me, he goes, come on, dance, dance. And then he hits, shoots me in the foot, and I'm like, ah, you shot me! You shot me! And so then, the next scene is I'm in the hospital, and he's apologizing, I'm so sorry, you know. I'm like, but you shot me! Anyway, basically, that's, it wasn't working, so I just, I added like, you shot me, like, uh, uh, like, 20 more times in his post. He just kept saying it over and over. Cause over and over. And then the he started laughing. Yeah. And then to this day, if I run into him, he goes, yeah, shot me. <laughs> he never forgot it. Yeah. That was an exciting story. He's <laughs> like, wow. Well, all these hosts, Angie, let me see. Angie Dickinson? Oh, she, she was really nice and sexy. Just the nicest lady ever. The nicest. Buster's nice. Buster Poindexter, he was like a regular on the show. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, well, what was his, David Johansson, right? Yes. What, he did the, the uh, doll, New York Dolls? New York Dolls, yeah, yeah. And then he was Buster Poindexter. Feeling yeah. hot, hot, hot. That guy. Yes. What do you mean he was on the show a lot? They featured him a lot as Buster Poindexter. Really? Yes. Like three times, maybe, I remember. I guess that's Well, the one. first year he was on a lot. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I'm not going to get in a fight with you. Well, you were, how would you know? You were barely aware of anything. All I did was watch SNL, dude. There was no pussy for me, so I was just like, look at this Lovitz guy. He's better than pussy. But you were 15 then, right? Uh, let me see, 19. No, this year, I was about to graduate, so seven. I was going to be 17. 17. Yeah, this I had a girlfriend year. then. Did Nothing you? but pussy. <laughs> Paul Simon? Oh. Paul Simon, yeah, I, he did one of the first shows I did. I don't, I have to look at the, honestly, Kevin, I don't remember. It was twenty-four. I have to look at the sketches. <laughs> but Paul, you know, Paul, Paul is a. Um, I remember I I, uh, I I was in Lauren's apartment. Lisa and Lauren actually lived next door to him, and they're best friends. So I met Paul Simon. I'd done this movie Charles Grodin, and he goes, "Oh," I, and Lauren goes, "This is John Lovitz." And I, I, I go, "Hi," and he goes, "He goes, oh, you're Chuck's friend." I said, yes, and you are? <laughs> and it was a joke, and then I don't think he got it, and I felt bad for years. <laughs> I ended up apologizing five years later. I was just kidding. I was nervous, you know, because it was ridiculous. Like, I was nobody, and you're you. He's a, he's a very nice guy, though. Rob Williams is nice. Oh, look at this. A message from John Lovitz. I think it's when I did Get to Know Me. Sketch-wise? Yeah, Get to Know Me. Yeah, because... Uh, uh, what would happen is they go, when you get the show, you make a list of characters that you already created and you own those characters. But then anything you created afterward, they owned. Mm-hmm. So then I, and then I wasn't getting paid to write. So I thought, well, that's not fair. So I thought, mm-hmm. I go, that was a get to know me. I remember I first did it to Danny uh, DeVito because I just was like, who was I? I was nobody, you know. So I go up to Danny DeVito, I go, hey, Danny, you want to get ahead in this business? Get to know me. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed, you know. So then I wrote a sketch of it and I go, well, who am I going to call the character? And I thought, ah, I'll call him. John Lovitz. They can't own that. That's my name. Right. So that's what I did. Do a little piece of it. Hello, I'm John Lovitz. You want to get ahead in life? Get to know me. Get to know my likes, my dislikes, what makes me tick, what makes me me. Where's my secret freckle? 
Have I always had this much hair? Why do women call me the anchor? <laughs> Get to know me. Now, here's a letter from a woman who, who lives in England. Dear John, before I got to know you, I was nothing, no or nobody. I had crooked teeth and badly needed braces. Then I got to know you. And today they call me Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Get to know me. Now, here's another letter. Dear John, before I got to know you, I was nothing, no or nobody. I was short with black hair. Then I got to know you. And today they call me Japan. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Robin Williams. I first met Robin. I was in college. Mm. I did this sketch called um, for it was Solar Energy Day called Sunday at UC Irvine. We're on the library steps. It's like 300 people. I do this sketch, and this guy comes up to me. He says, "This is like 1978, I think." He goes, "Can you introduce me as the first stand-up comic from Russia, Nikki Lennon?" I said, "Okay." So I did. I go, "Now here's the first stand-up comic from Russia. Please welcome Nikki Lennon." And it was Robin, but he was completely unknown then. And he did this he, 40 minutes, and he was fantastic. So afterward, I said, hey, uh, you know, did you see my sketch? Do you have any advice? He goes, yeah, you know, first you imitate other people, but, you know, eventually you find your own voice. And I said, okay, thanks. I go, hey, let me ask you something. Do people always say to you, why, why aren't you ever serious? He goes, yeah. I go, what do you say to that? Because people, yeah, like, I was a clown. You know, people, why aren't you ever serious? He'd say, oh, just say to him, why aren't you ever funny? <laughs> and then... Um, I, I ran into him in the comedy store later, and, he, and I said, can I ask you advice? He goes, yeah, yeah, afterward. I mean, he was always very nice. And I think this is the show where Al wrote this sketch. I'm pretty sure it was the one where he was, a, he was Shakespeare. No, he was, he was playing Hamlet, an actor, and I was playing Shakespeare. That was it. He was playing Shakespeare, and, uh, but he kept improvising. Because mm -hmm. Robin likes to improvise. I think that was the one. Well, maybe not. Hmm. No, nope, I don't see it on here. Are you having a senior moment right now? It was 24 years ago. Perhaps he hosted twice. He did. Um, let me. Let's jump ahead real quick, man. Uh, uh, Carl Weathers. Anything there? Wait. I don't remember. Great guy, though. Beautiful. Justine Bateman. Didn't. Fucker. <laughs> I remember you were in the sketch. They did the Family Ties sketch. You played the boyfriend. Uh, her boy. What was her boyfriend's name on the show? Nick. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The hair. Had a I used to remember hair. every sketch and everything that happened for years. And now, where did it all go? Well, how can you remember everything? Tom Hanks. He did many times on the show. Tom, Tom, yeah, we became very good friends, actually. I became, uh, after the first, uh, the first season, he came on, and he said, oh, I think you know my girlfriend. I go, who's your girlfriend? He goes, Rita Wilson. I go, oh, yeah, because I knew her because she was friends with this girl, Robin Schiff, in the Groundlings. And Tom and I, he became one of my best friends. So that was fun. I think we did uh, Lady uh, Watchers, which was uh, uh, Robert Smigel who wrote Triumph, the insult dog, and that wrote that. That was really... That's you guys standing on the... Oh, Girl Watchers, yeah. Hello, good. Hello, goodbye. Yeah, he goes. This head is way too big for this body. And I go. And these, I had a monobrow. I go. And these eyebrows come together in a most unappealing way, <laughs> like two losers. Yeah, that was the first time we did girl watchers, and then we did it, ended up doing it two more times. 
Uh, and then Great guy. Judge Reinhold hosted what became the last uh, episode of the season because they had a writer strike uh, that kind of uh, canceled the rest of television for that season. So you guys had a quick season. You started in October. You were done. Yeah, and then I remember I was in Los Angeles, and Lauren goes, you have to come back. And I go, well, there's going to be a writer's strike. But what I didn't say, and Eddie Murphy's having a party. <laughs> and I wanted to go to that. What do you mean? You, want, you just wanted to hang well, out? Well, yeah, because I just got so into, like, I wanted, I, you know, I, I had no money for seven years. I was living on $600 a month. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I had these sh- literally shit jobs. I was an orderly at a hospital. I was wiping people's butts. I mean, it was horrible, but people would have cancer, and they'd crap in their bed, and, and it was horrible, and, and I had to go and clean it up. And they'd be in there like a skeleton, and I'd have to take a towel and scoop it up. And I did it, and I put it in the trash can, and some of it fell out. And I ran out of the room, I was going to th- gagging, throwing up. And this big fat nurse, she, she go, I can't go back in, I can't do it, I'm going to throw up. She goes, John, just take a deep breath and go back in. So then people go, well, is that better now, being a movie star? I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, I'd rather be doing that. <laughs> Of course it's better. Do people treat you differently now that you're famous? Fuck yes. Is it better? Yes. Yes, it is better. Like way better? Yes. Like as good as they say? Better. It's ridiculous. Um. You know, and, 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 but I wanted to be, I want to go, where's that world where the actors live? And that's what that restaurant Columbus was like. You know, I'm sure before you started working, you had it in your mind, you go, I want to be with those guys, and where are they, and work with them, and be in that world. No. No? No, I'm, I'm Who the am other I guy. talking to? You're Mr. Independent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the other guy. I'm like, where's everyone going? Let's go with other place across the street. Yeah, but you still work with those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're working with them right now. <laughs> you can't escape it. Um, I've never had that though. I've never been like, I want to be where all the fucking people are and shit. You, you uh, seem to that. Well, I did. What, what, and why? So, at what point while you're on the show do you come more in love with the shit that comes with the show as opposed to the show itself? Because it became every week on Saturday you had to audition to get on the show, and it became so tougher and tougher to get on mm-hmm. that you finally go like, well, what can I do that I don't have to fight to do? So I was staying, I did this movie, My Stepmother's an Alien, and I was staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Mm-hmm. It was 1988. Now I would all, I played tennis, my dad got me into it. I played for, since I was eight, like two weeks, stop for six months, do it for two weeks, stop. So I said, I want to play tennis, and they had courts there and said, uh, you could play tennis with Alex Olmedo, who's the uh, uh, Wimbledon champion. So I called up, I said, hey, uh, I like it, can I get a tennis lesson? He goes, he's from Peru. He goes, sure. And I go, uh, I go, so you won Wimbledon? Yeah, who'd you beat? Rod Laver, who was like considered the greatest player ever. I go, you beat Rod Laver? Yeah, and I got a lesson with you? Yeah. Oh, man. I was so excited. So I went down there. Well, he's the nicest guy in the world. And I'm learning from like, you know, a guy that was the number one player in the world. Like, this is how the pros do it. Right. So I was so excited. I go, I'm learning the real way. And I got better and I tried it for two weeks and I had to relearn everything. And then I thought, well, what if I didn't stop? You know, what if I kept going instead of two weeks? And that was 1988, and I've been—I uh, play tens of them twice a week now, still. 
You still to this day play To this day, yeah, and I go to his house now, and he's like the great nicest man ever. And, and uh, yeah, so I, because I, it got to the point, though, where I played, I was doing tennis more than anything, because it was so getting so hard to get on the show, and then after a while, it was getting so hard to get work. I, like, well, at least I can book a tennis lesson, and I can actually do it. I'm paying for it, but I get to do it. Whereas, like, it's like, you know, it's tough. It's like you're banging your head against a wall trying to convince people you can act. And even to this day, if, if there's a movie, and they go, you have to audition. I tell my manager, I go, I'm not going to get it. Why? Because I've done so much work. They, they know I can act. If they want me to audition, it means they don't want me. Mm. I don't care how good I am in the audition. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. true. It's true. It's I go, true. they already know me, so do they want me or not? Well, what have you done? I go, well, here's 500 sketches and 38 movies. You, I think I can do it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't make you audition. Well, I, I, mean, I didn't want to get in a fucking argument about giving you a part. Well, you're smart. I mean, unless you don't know the person, you know, you have no idea. But if you know who you want, yeah, it's better. You're writing. It's like, oh, I want this guy for this part, and you write it for him. Mm. Then people go, "You're great." I go, "Well, it was tailor made to my talent." I mean, it's smart. That's what uh, happened in the league of their own. They, they, they wrote the part for me. Right. So wait, the season ends, and you go to learn. I go to tennis. I play tennis. I, I did. My stepmother's an alien. With the Kim Basinger, and I, the, I remember I was living at Penny Marshall's house that summer, and, and I said, "Do you want to do this movie?" And I'm reading the script, and it says, "Then my character kisses Kim Basinger. He really kisses her." So I'm in her kitchen. I start screaming, "Do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? Who cares if it's good? I get to kiss Kim Basinger, right?" Yeah, I'm just being honest. I was like, "Fuck, this is movies." Right. Like anybody, you go, you want to make out with Kim Basinger? Yes, we'll pay you. You got me. <laughs> right? This is so funny. So I'm doing the movie. Of course, I had a great time. Dan Eckward was great. Allison Hannigan was her first movie. She was 13. You know, now she what, American Pie and um, her TV show. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, but that was her first movie. She was the lead. We played Dan Eckward's daughter. Seth Green was in it. Who's, you know, really well known now. But Seth at the time, he was like a 13. I was so excited to meet him. He's like, you're John Lovitar. You're Seth Green. You played Woody Allen as a kid. Yeah, yeah, you met goodness. Woody Allen. Fuck. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, um, and all I, and Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd was such a, such a great guy. So nice, you know, to me. Took me under his wing. He was the, he's the best. Like, I had this trailer. I didn't know anything. My trailer was, like, from, I don't know. It was, like, I think about 30 to 40 years old. It was, like, moldy and nothing. Mm -hmm. And he goes, do you have a TV in your trailer? I go, no. He goes, you don't? I go, no. I didn't even think about it. He goes, you're kidding. I go, no. So he looks at my trailer. He goes, the fuck? <laughs> the next day, I have a brand-new trailer, a TV, a fridge. Air, I mean, because you know, you're just hanging out and all day. And, it, and it, it's kind of neat because it's symbolic, like you're moving up. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. why actors go trailers, because they're moving up in their career. And it uh, signifies and the trailer, hard work you've done. Uh, you know? always makes the movie better, of course, at the end of the day. Well, it makes you feel better. It does. Does it? Yes. You could relax. You could have taken nice naps. Very nice naps. <laughs> Save your energy. Is that what movies? you did on Mom and Dad Save the World? A lot of naps and shit? Uh, no, happened? I hung out with Dan a lot. And I, oh, well. And then, uh, uh, you know, Kim was so stunningly beautiful. It was ridiculous. Did you and I mention it to her? No, but I mean, you know, I'm sure she knew. I was like, <laughs> uh, you know. And, and like one time we were in the makeup trailer. I mean, she didn't have any makeup on. And she was like leaving the trailer. I go, Kim. 
I just wanted to look at her again. She goes, yeah. And I go, uh, oh, I'll see you later in the set. And she turned around and her hair was framed by the sunlight coming through the doorway <laughs> and gold and halo around her. I mean, it's like stunning. Like it didn't seem real, you know. And she's so sexy. And but she's not trying to be. She just looks at you and you go, she's coming on to me. <laughs> no, she's not. She's just looking at me. But she's so stunningly sexual. You just go, is that real? And all I could think about, I was going to kiss her. And then I was really nervous. So the day of the kiss, right, I go to the director, Richard Benjamin. I go, what do I do? He goes, just kiss her. I've never kissed a, a woman in a movie. Because I don't want to, like, kiss her. And she slaps me. And I thought she'd see it in the script. And they're like, no, 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 no. Cut this. You know. <laughs> it's all I'm thinking about the whole time of the movie, six weeks into it, every day. When do I kiss her? And I see, oh, I think today's the day. So I walk up to her and I go, you know, Kim... Today's our big scene. She's like, what? I go, well, you know, it's, uh, it's when... Uh, uh, nothing. nothing. <laughs> and I realized she hadn't thought about it at all. Right. And it was all I was thinking about. So we come to the scene. So they go, take one. So I kiss her, you know. Take two. I give her a little kiss. I'm not really going for it. Then I'm like, take three. We're doing it again. I'm like, in my head, I go... The fuck's wrong with you? It's Kim Basinger. Kiss her. It's your chance. Go for it. So I really give her a good kiss, right? And I swooned. <laughs> Have you ever swooned, Kevin? Really swooned? I figure when you kiss someone, you're supposed to make them swoon, aren't you? Yes. So you swooned yourself? That's how sexy she is. I gave her a big kiss and I swooned. I swooned myself. That's how good of a kisser I am. Did you? Yes. You swoon yourself in the I'm trailer later on? I'm such a good kisser on, that I kissed her and I swooned. Explain. Define that. I want to see if you're using that word the, correctly. I literally got dizzy. The Kissing. blood went to my head and all the hormones and I was in a little ditch and I went... Like in the movies, but it was for real. Oh my God, what a woman. How did she react to you overreacting? She didn't. But what happened is, after that kiss, she was super nice to me. Like, John, come on in the tra- Meet the family in the house. And she was super nice to me after that. But the funniest thing is, is like 10 years later, my sister ran into her to like a grocery store. And said, oh, my brother's John Lovitz. He always talks about that time he kissed you. And she goes, oh, yeah, he makes too much of that. <laughs> it's still nothing to her. Did you, be honest. But I saw her that Be summer. honest. Yeah. Did you jerk off thinking about her? Did I what? Jerk off thinking about her. Did, why are you whispering? <laughs> You're like embarrassed to ask it's me. It's true, it's true. I should say it out loud and proud. Did I, I jerk off? Thinking about her. Oh, Kevin, come on, man. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, I would imagine. Silly question. On, on kiss day, especially, you were probably like, I'm going to do this. No, three I, times. I had a girlfriend. No, I didn't. I don't remember. It was years, 24 years ago. Right. But you were very obsessed with the kiss, so I'm thinking maybe. Oh, my God. Wouldn't want and to then there was this club in LA, Helena's, boner. that everybody would go to. And I ran into her there, right? And I, it was a warm summer night. And I said, Hey, uh, Kim. She was there. And I go, Hi, John. I go, Hey, can we uh, dance with you? She goes, Yeah, sure. And then, uh, uh, about an hour later, she left the club. And I was like, ah, fuck, man. I was so disappointed. Well, 
about two, two, one thirty in the morning, she comes back and she was dancing with like, I don't know, her bodyguard. And I'm like, hey, how about our dance? She goes, oh yeah, okay. I was thrilled. So it was like out of a movie. It's a warm summer night and the Frank Sinatra's playing, you know, the summer wind, da, 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 right? And I'm dancing with Kim Basinger and she's laughing and smiling. I'm like, oh. And that's when life is like a movie. Kevin Smith. <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments in your life that's like you never forget. You right. know, like magical. For me. For her, she's like, I remember that. <laughs> but for me, man. Your whole life has been fucking charmed like that, though, man. You got a lot of those moments. Well, I, and I, it hasn't really been charmed like that. But I have a lot of moments. You know, not a lot, but some, yeah. Enough. Where to me, it was just amazing, you know. Usually involves a beautiful woman. And That's true, man. When you went back to even pre-SNL, when you were just like, you know, one thing happened to me that year, a girl liked me. It always comes back to the ladies with you. Yes. <laughs> I like women. Well, what's more beautiful than a naked woman on her back in the moonlight on a warm summer night? <laughs> Nothing. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Okay, but after that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you guys have a good time tonight. We will be back in a couple weeks to do it again to learn even more about the great John Lovitz as we head into a season A glistening four. labia. In the moonlight on a warm summer night. I'm Kevin Smith. I'll take PB&J. What are you thinking? I don't know. Story of my life. All right, man. Next year. Next what if there was peanut butter and jelly on a glistening labia in the moonlight? Then would you... Combination of two beautiful things. Yes. Then, absolutely, of course. No, never fucking... Could you imagine just being like, can you put this peanut butter in your pussy, please? I really like peanut if butter. She, if, well... You keep it separate, I man. think... I don't know that you keep you it separate. Keep I think separated. if she loved you, she'd say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's still... Oh, it's just... Okay, no. Well, how about, like, uh, whipped cream? Yeah. Well, how about uh, 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 strawberry jam? Mm. <laughs> peanut butter. Mm. Honey. Yeah, honey. Something I like to eat. <laughs> Please put something on there I like to eat. <laughs> Please. I'm uh, begging you. Join us, uh, join us here next time, man, on the ABCs of SNL. I'm Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm John Lovett. Give it up for John Lovett, everybody. Thanks for coming to the club. We'll see you next time. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up one more time for Kevin Smith. And John Lovitz with the ABCs of SNL right here at the Lovitz. We'd like to thank you all for coming out and supporting this showbiz shit talking as done by the Kel best. James, tell yes, them what, what's the next show? Is there the next show? Well, John, I'm glad you asked. The next Make show sure is... Make sure you valet park get your ticket validated. <laughs> it's cheaper. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> all right, don't. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thanks for coming to the club. Thank you. Give it up one more time for John Lovitz, ladies and gentlemen. 
All right, the next show is Hollywood Babylon. How many of you guys have tickets for the next show? A few of you have them. All right, welcome back. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are... If you we, don't have tickets, you should get them. I t- that Hollywood Babylon is hilarious. We're, Sold out. It is? Yeah. <laughs> what about the top level? The top level's full? Oh, it's sold out. So well, then get get them. Go to the box office. Get tickets for it next time. It's hilarious. Yes, it's the one in the bottom there. Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith. Hilarious. He. Hey, now that this podcast, you think Kevin Smith? He doesn't like deep pussy. <laughs> Thanks, John. Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com.